Welcome to the Treble Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Thompson, audiologist and founder of Treble Health. This podcast is supported by treblehealth.com, the nation's leading telehealth service for tinnitus and hearing loss treatment. Thank you for being here on our podcast and make sure to subscribe to get our newest episodes sent straight to you. Let's get ahead with today's episode. Name one tip for sleeping with tinnitus. Um, a cool, dark place. Uh, I'm bad at it, but keeping to the same schedule every day. Sound enrichment or sound therapy. Trying a sound pillow or a sleep headband to help you sleep and hear sound through both ears. And I would say a relaxing activity that you do every night right before bed. What is the common medical cause of tinnitus? Um, I'm going to say diabetes. Middle ear infections. Meniere's. Earwax. And I would say sudden sensory neural hearing loss. What is a common cause of somatic tinnitus? Repetitive neck motions. Uh, Two-third dental injuries, infections, things like that. TMJ. Uh, neuralgia. Cranial nerve neuralgia. Ooh, a trauma, like one from a motor vehicle accident. Have you ever had a patient with objective tinnitus? Yes. Um, I saw a patient that had palatal myoclonase, and I could hear the tinnitus while sitting right next to them. Uh, I have not been able to hear it sitting next to the patient, but been able to see it on a test, kind of see the line on a test change when they said they could hear the tinnitus. I don't think I've had any patients with objective tinnitus, but I had a personal experience because my sister had an objective tinnitus after giving birth to her first child. And it turned out she had an ABM. So I did have, I was able to hear that, which was really fascinating, but yeah. So personal experience. I had a patient with patchless eustachian too, but that's it. Yeah. I haven't had one where I've been able to hear their tinnitus. So hopefully in the future or hopefully not, however you take it. What are some common tinnitus sounds? So you can actually either describe your own tinnitus or some of the common descriptions that your patients give about tinnitus. My own bass noise is a white noise. And then each of my ears do other fun things, but white noise. Uh, mine is a high pitch at around 10,200 hertz, both ears just kind of right above my head. I can hear it. Same, same white noise for personal experience. Uh, patients, sometimes we hear roaring or whooshing sound will be described. Uh, common sound is a hissing electrical sound. Yeah, I was going to say buzzing. And mine sounds like a seashell. So if you hold up a seashell to your ear, except I'll hear it obviously without the seashell. What is a common difficulty that patients who have tinnitus have? I get a lot of complaints about difficulty with reading and being able to concentrate on while they read. I work with a lot of musicians and the ability to focus on sound, but not focus on your own sound at the same time is really tough for a lot of people. I think uh, anxiety and depression come to mind. Common difficulty that I see is when patients are finished with their workday and they're not mentally stimulated and they're at home and it's quiet and that's a common struggle. I think a lot of patients have difficulty sleeping, but sometimes it comes in waves, not necessarily the whole time that they are dealing with their tinnitus. What is your favorite analogy to use when working with patients who have tinnitus? I often talk about how right now in stage one, when we start working with patients, their tinnitus is like a smoke detector going off in the middle of the night. You wake up in fight or flight. 
and that we're going to work them through the process of that smoke detector becoming um, the smoke detector that goes off when you're in the kitchen and you're burning something. You're not in fight or flight, but you still don't like the sound. And then we're going to go to the smoke detector chirping to tell you the battery needs changed. Still annoying. We don't like it. It always happens at the least opportune times. Um, And then in the final stage four of habituation is where you know you got to test the smoke detector. You know you're going to do it, but it's done and over with, and then you move along. And you don't think about it until the next time you have to test the smoke detector. My analogy that I probably use too much is like a tea kettle on a stove. And you put enough heat in and eventually it whistles. And our job is to figure out how we turn the heat down. Man, this is where I need a button because Sarah, you took my answer. Mark, you just took my second one. Um, Some things that I talk about captaining our own ship about control and acceptance and coping and that we can captain our ship here. So that just came to mind because you guys stole my answers. (laughs) One analogy that I commonly use is I often remind patients that the sound of their own breathing is a constant sound that's always there, but they never think about it. So their brain has been trained to categorize it as such. And with tinnitus, the brain can be trained to do the same thing over time. That's similar to the analogy that I oftentimes use too. So I discussed the fact that tinnitus is a sensory input, much like the clothing on our body or the glasses on our face or smell in our environment. And over time doesn't mean that those things go away, but we can learn to ignore them and to forget about them. So in that that same capacity, we can do the same thing with our tinnitus. What is the youngest tinnitus patient you've had? I have worked with a 12-year-old. I think 14, early high school. Yeah. I was this year, um, sixth grade. I worked with a teenager for tinnitus and hyperacusis who improved rapidly. I think mine was also around 12, like Sarah's. This is a short break from today's video to announce the Tinnitus Guide by Treble Health. Do you want to learn about the newest tinnitus treatments and management tips? Click the link in the description of this video to get your free copy of the Tinnitus Guide by Treble Health. Are you a fan of hearing aids for treating tinnitus? That's an easy yes. I've got mine right here. I didn't even need to reach for them. They were sitting right in front of me. So yes. Agree. Absolutely. Yes. Hearing aids, tinnitus maskers, ear level sound therapy for tinnitus. Yes. I second, third, and fourth. Everything that everyone said. Absolutely. Hearing aids are a good treatment option for individuals with tinnitus. What is your favorite tinnitus gadget besides a hearing aid? um, I probably recommend to 80% of my patients to use sleep headphones. I love bone conduction headphones because I use them for running and cycling and a lot of other things. And I I think that if you can use it in one part of your life and also use it for tinnitus management, it's a great option to have. I'm going to say ear level maskers. I'll say a high quality sound machine that does not rely on Bluetooth. I was going to say a sound machine too. I think that's a really great gadget to have. Name a medication that can cause tinnitus. So I asked my husband, who's a pharmacist, this question this morning, and he immediately said Viagra. Ooh, good one. Uh, On my mind, I always think of the difference between something that can aggravate tinnitus and something that's really, truly ototoxic. So I think of like platinum-based chemotherapy drugs as being truly ototoxic and and can be destructive to the ear. Yeah, I went with ototoxic as well. Uh, Gentamicin. Aspirin has been shown to spike tinnitus in certain cases, but not all the time. And not permanently. 
Yes, definitely. And loop diuretics, that can be another one. Name one type of negative thinking that affects tinnitus. I talk a lot with my patients about the blame game, which is essentially personalizing and blaming yourself for everything. I am guilty all the time of minimizing in my own life and basically saying that oh, it's just good luck that my tinnitus is good today and need to remind myself, you know, it's under my control. Uh, what comes to my ca- over-catastrophizing? All or nothing thinking. I will never adapt to tinnitus. If I have tinnitus, I'll always be suffering. Yeah, I was going to say overgeneralization for sure and just global labeling. You know, a lot of these all kind of come together in one. What can tinnitus be a symptom of? Ear disease. Anxiety. Stress can be a symptom of a mild age-related hearing loss. Good one. It could be a symptom of diabetes. What is your favorite distraction to use? Mm. I love cooking with music on and just creating all sorts of sensory inputs from the sound of the music, the smell of the food, the texture and the taste of the food, and just the happy ambience in the house of all of that. My go-to is the New York Times crossword puzzle app because I'm very bad at crossword puzzles and it's very frustrating to me and distracting. Okay. Learning more about Dr. Mark. Um, <laughs> uh, nature. I think nature is is one of the best things our patients can do to help them with their tinnitus. Get outside, experience all the sounds around them, take some deep breaths, go for walks. I personally love to have uh, instrumental music on in the background. It helps me focus and do my work. I like anything that involves creativity. So sometimes I'm... That means playing with my girls or doing some kind of craft project or doing some home renovation. But I definitely think doing something that involves both physical and mental effort is the best distractor for me and 100% the best distractor for someone who has tinnitus. What was your undergraduate degree in? Um, I have a bachelor's in audiology and a bachelor's in speech language pathology. Uh, my undergrad's a bachelor's in philosophy and history. Um, undergrad, essentially audiology. It was communication disorders and speech sciences. And I have a master's in audiology as well. I studied communications and health. And I studied psychology and had a minor in business. What would you be doing if you weren't an audiologist? It would be a professional party planner. Fun. I know. Give me all the opportunity to make fun, amazing, happy parties and spending somebody else's money doing it. I love hiking and camping and and glaciology is a place that I found that I can combine that. So if I had gone a different direction, that's probably where I would have wanted to go. I didn't even know glaciology was a word, but that's awesome. Learning something (laughs) new here. Um, Not the biggest um, field. um, um, What would I be doing? I guess in my dreams, I'd be like a professional surfer on tour, but I don't have the talent for that. So nurse, I think I would have gone into nursing. I think I would have made a good, a good nurse. I don't know if I would have wanted to have been a physician. So I'm going with nursing, but I really would have rather been a professional surfer. (laughs) I used to be an outdoor adventure guy, leading groups of teenagers and uh, college students on backpacking trips. So I would have done that. There's a million things I would like to do. I love audiology too, but I think I would like to have been an archaeologist or like an architect. They kind of are a little bit related, but yeah, that's the dream. Indiana, Michelle, what state or region of the U.S. are you located in? I am in the mountain area in the Denver metro area there. 
I am in the Midwest in Chicago. San Francisco. Uh, Northern California. North Jersey. What is one group of people who are more susceptible to having tinnitus? Um, any p- patient that has prior anxiety issues tends to be a little more prone. I always think of it because I see a lot of them, but musicians, because of noise exposure and also, you know, training yourself to focus on little auditory things sometimes can uh, be tough with tinnitus. Stealing my answers again. Um, yeah, because I was going noise. Uh, hearing loss. Um, motorcycle riders. Construction workers. Name one tinnitus myth. I think one of the biggest ones I come across is that um, having tinnitus is going to make you lose your hearing. Yeah, a lot of people come in at the beginning saying that I don't have any control over this, and we need to find ways that we do have control over it. So that's typically what I think of. That it's not going to get better. One tinnitus myth is that sound therapy is a crutch, and if you start using it, you'll rely on it forever. That's a good one. As my hearing loss gets worse, so will my tinnitus. Oh, I have one one more tinnitus myth. This is a nasty one. Is that using white noise is bad for your brain and would lead to dementia. Yeah, that's a definitely a myth. <laughs> what are some ways that we can actually measure tinnitus? This is an interesting question because, I mean, clinically, I can put somebody in the booth and have them pitch match and volume match. But what are we really measuring with that? That's where I always land on that one. We're measuring perception, but did we really measure something? Yeah, so, that's, I, I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking of the same thing, Sarah. Uh, No, and and I think that the best way to measure it is one thing that we use at Treble Health, you know, using questionnaires, being able to to find those subjective measures and see how people feel like they're improving rather than, you know, going in a booth and doing that Mm -hmm. type of testing. Yeah, I was going to say the TFI or Tinnitus Functional Index, which we give our patients, but also subjective questions that we can ask and then, you know, track their answers as we're working with them, percentages of being annoyed, things like that. How loud is your tinnitus from a scale of one very soft to 10 very loud? And what percentage of your waking hours are you aware of tinnitus? Yeah, everyone said the ones I was going to go with. Sometimes, yes, we do the pitch matching and loudness matching in the booth, but what does it really mean? And then I think the questions that we ask our patients and the questionnaires we give are more valuable ways to measure tinnitus and progress. One of the things I've been doing with patients recently um, is instead of focusing on the negative, which is how loud is it, how much does it affect us, we can also measure how long we've gone without thinking about it mm-hmm. and celebrating the five minutes growing into 10 minutes and the 10 minutes growing into an hour. Um, So kind of the reverse of that question is how do we measure improvement and focusing on the positive there? That's excellent. Going to steal that one. (laughs) Really good. Thanks everyone for playing our 20 question lightning round. If you guys have any other questions that you'd like to ask our audiologists, please comment below. Bye everyone. Thanks. Thank you for watching today's video with Treble Health. Check out our next video by clicking the button on this screen or another recommended video. And if you're not already, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks so much. See you on the next video.
Thanks for listening to today's podcast. This is your host, Dr. Ben Thompson. If you have two minutes, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a five-star review on the Apple Podcast platform for the Treble Health Podcast. Thank you for your time. And if you need any services for tinnitus or hearing aids, please head over to treblehealth.com and our team of expert audiologists will be able to help you via telehealth. Have a great one and see you soon.